0: Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Heavenly Father, take my lips and speak speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire with a love for you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, if you will, and uh, we are in our second week of a three-week series on the book of Jonah. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, you Jonah is towards the end of the Old Testament. It's a, just a couple of pages long, so you can, you'll can have to search for it a little bit. And as you do that, um, let me give you a quick recap in case you weren't here last week. Uh, Jonah is a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. They have been uh, attacked and Uh, and beaten down by an empire called Assyria. But Jonah is called called by God to go up to the capital city of Assyria, which is called Nineveh, and preach a gospel of repentance and forgiveness to his arch enemies. Instead of doing that, he tries to flee from the presence of God. He goes and gets on a boat, buys a ticket for the absolute farthest place in the opposite direction called Tarshish, all the way on the farthest part of the known world um, from where he's supposed to go. On the way, God sends a storm. There's some conversation. You'll have to read it yourself or listen to the sermon online. Uh, and, uh, And Jonah is thrown overboard to calm the storm. When he hits the water, we start with chapter one, verse 17. So let's go right here. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish, Three days and three nights. Okay, so let's get this out of the way first. We said yesterday, or yesterday, it feels like yesterday, last last Sunday, um, we said that the book of Jonah is not about a fish. This is this is really one of only a couple of verses that even mention the fish. Okay, but the fish is an important character; it's just not the central character. That the book of Jonah is really about grace, and it's about God's grace. But we do have to deal with this first. We know because we, are, we have intellect and we went through biology in high school that it would be very hard to survive for three days inside the digestive system of a fish, okay? First of all, I want you to see here that it never, the Bible never says the word whale, okay? Jonah was not necessarily swallowed by a whale. Could have been a great white shark Could have been the Meg. I don't know, uh, the Loch Ness Monster. I have no idea. It was some kind of great fish that swallowed him up. It could have been a whale. Who knows? Um, But uh, so the question, though, regardless of that, you're thinking, Dan, if he is swallowed by a great fish into the stomach, he is now sitting in stomach acid for three days, and he's going to be salsa by Wednesday, right? I mean, that's that's what you're thinking. And so you're thinking, this is implausible. Can we trust any of the rest of the book of Jonah? Is it just a fable or a myth um, uh, that, that teaches some good, good, solid character truths, but can we really take it literally? I think this is really important for us, how we understand, how we read this part of Jonah really affects how we read the rest of the Bible. Because the Bible is full of miracles, things that shouldn't happen but did. And that a miracle really is showing God's ability, the God who created the laws of nature, that he can suspend the laws of nature, and that he's the only one who can do that, and that's why miracles are so impressive, because they don't happen very often, and the person who can, has that kind of power must be pretty significant. And so all of the things that Jesus does when he walks on water, when he multiplies fishes, when he, uh, when he, uh, when he heals the blind, when he calms the storm, and most significantly, when he dies... And three days later, rises again. That, they all violate the laws of nature. And the only one who can do that is the one who created the laws of nature. So if we look at this and we dismiss the whole thing because we're like, Pfft, that's really implausible. We're going to have a hard time with the rest of the Bible. Or we're going to have to say, we can keep our brains in our head and our intellect as we read. We also have to recognize there is a, uh, there's a limit to our intellect and to our understanding uh, and to trust that God can do greater things that we could ever ask for or imagine, that he can do greater things that we can understand how they work. And this is one of those moments, okay? So we just have to say, all right, Jonah's in the belly of the whale and somehow he's surviving. Don't know how that worked out, but it did. So... That's the context for where we are. Jonah is inside the fish. He's in in the fish, okay? Whatever that looks like for you. Uh, I know in cartoons, it always looks like there's a big cave, and they've got like a candle on the inside. I I don't think that's how, I think he's in the slimy, suffocating gullet of the fish, all right? And so this is what happens. Jonah, uh, this is verse one, uh, chapter two, verse one, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. This is a huge statement because if you remember, if you were here last week, one of the things we talked about was that through all of the trials of Jonah, all his decisions to leave, the storm itself, him being thrown overboard, this prophet of God never once prayed never once sought the, the wisdom of his God or the direction of his God. And that so oftentimes in our own lives, when we are running from God or we are in a place of, of sin, we do the same thing. We forget to pray. We, 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 we stop talking to God. And Jonah has gone through all of these things, uh, and he stopped talking with God. And then all of a sudden, he's hit rock bottom now. Well, I mean, maybe not the whole bottom. He's somewhere suspended between the top of the water and the bottom, in the fish, okay? But figuratively, this is rock bottom. I can't think of being much lower places, and he is here in the belly of the fish, and he finally prays, and this is what he prays. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. I wonder, I don't know, it doesn't, the, the book doesn't tell us, but he was in there um, three days and three nights. And we're going to see, I don't mean to spoil it for you, but we're going to see that, that the fish actually lets him go in a little bit. We're going to talk about that. Um, but, but when did he start praying? Was it the moment he was swallowed by the fish? Or did he sit there in his pride, and in the belly of a fish, going, nope not going to do it, not going to pray, I'm not going to, I don't know, but when he finally gets to the point of realizing he can't save himself, can't fix his own situation, when he's finally at the lowest of low, he calls out, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Now, this is, this is really interesting, because, because Jonah is inside the fish, uh, and he says, I called out to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. He's praying with such confidence and faith right now, Jonah gets a bad rap, and I mean, he earned it, right? Um, that, uh, uh, he's, he's not been the most faithful prophet of all time. Uh, and so he earns some of the, the rap that he gets. But he prays with such faith in here because his prayer has not yet been answered, but he's praying with the confidence to say, I called out in my distress and you heard me. He has, there's hope in his tone that Jonah, even though he's run from it, he struggles with it just like we do as well, Jonah never forgets that God is gracious. Even when he's running and getting thrashed by waves and being swallowed by a giant fish, he says, you heard my voice. How different would our lives be if we could peel our fingers off of control over our own life and had this kind of faith even in our own suffering? to say, that there's hope, that there's a way out, that that I, that I know that hope sounds crazy, but it's possible because of all the things that God has done and will do. What if we could turn our cycle of critical thinking and negative thinking into a cycle of faith, of instead of believing and having faith in negative outcomes, because that's really what anxiety is, right? It's having faith in that something bad is going to happen and experiencing that in advance. What if we could change that that cycle into a cycle of hope and faith that says says what Jonah is saying. I'm praying, and even though it hasn't happened yet, I can have hope because I believe that God is going to be faithful. How different would our lives be? How, how 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 much more peaceful would our existence be? And you can see Jonah struggling with this just in the same way that we struggle with this as well. But listen to the couplets that he uses here. See how he sticks things together. He's, he'll say things here in these next couple of verses where he'll say, This happened, but he keeps using this word and yet, or but. So this happened, but yet, this is going to happen. And so you see this this struggle. Okay, I'm seeing this, and I'm struggling with this, but I have hope over here. Just listen, verse three. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. This is all happening and I'm in the midst of it and I'm suffering deeply and I'm confused and I'm hurting and, and you seem very far away from me right now, which if you think about it is actually exactly what Jonah wanted. He said, I'm going to flee from the presence of God. He gets there, he's, cast, he's driven away from God's sight and realizes maybe that wasn't such a good idea after all. He got what he wanted and realized that's not what was right. And so here he is in the midst of this, suffering still, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The temple that is the symbol of God's presence with his people, the place of sacrifice and forgiveness, the place that is a guarantee of God being with him. For Christians, that's the church, not the building, the people. The, the people of God together, when we look and say the existence of God Uh, Jonah said that the existence of the temple, that one day I'll see it, and that's an assurance of your presence. That that's the way that we should see the church, the people all around you, to be able to say their existence reminds me of the presence of God. We also, as Christians, have hope of a greater temple, a temple from the book of Revelation where God himself is going to be in our midst. And we can say, in the midst of all of our suffering and our toil right now, and yet there comes a greater presence of God. And yet there comes a time when Jesus will return to make all things new. There will be a time when there will be no more sin, when there will be no more struggles, when there will be no more suffering. And that hope is so great in us as Christians that Paul says in Romans that we should not even worth, it's not even worth comparing the struggles that we have right now to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. And Paul knew suffering, and he knew the depths of suffering. And so if he knew how deep suffering could be, as he's writing oftentimes from prison, waiting for his own martyrdom, and then he says, but the glory of God is going to be even greater than any sufferings that we can be a part of. This, friends, is hope. It's hope. And we have hope because we have a gracious God. So here is Jonah. I've been in the the storms, in the fish, and yet I shall look upon your holy temple and I pray that as you struggle if you're not struggling right now great but you will I don't know when it's going to happen again and I don't know how much you've been through in the past but you will and when that time comes turn your gaze upon God upon his church upon all of those places where grace is given in that image of all things made new in the book of Revelation that give us hope and remember This is happening, but hold on to your and yet. Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. He's got seaweed all over him. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. He, this, this whole fish is a big analogy for Jonah of a prison, right? Because he's talking about the bars that close. So, so some sort of teeth that are clothing. And he's, and he's, and he's covered with seaweed and, and ick. And he's, and he's in there. It's, and he says, this, I called out from the depths of Sheol, the place of the dead. He is completely wiped. Y- Your prison may not be a fish, And it may be your own sin that has taken you there or the sin of someone else or the fact that we live in a sinful, broken world and that has impact on us. And so you, your prison may not be a fish like Jonah is saying that his is, but maybe for you it's financial debt. Maybe it's addiction. I don't mean just drugs, sexual addiction, shopping, internet, conflict. You can be addicted to conflict. You you might say you hate it but you get addicted to the adrenaline of it uh, and the attention that it brings. You can be addicted to, um, to, to anger or to pain or to hurt. Or to... Anyone else ever have just a general sense of cynicism or mistrust of the people around them? Right? Have you ever lived in that place where all of a sudden you kind of turn and realize, I'm just kind of waiting for someone around me to betray me because it's just going to happen at some point. And friends, we've been, we've been for the last few years in a place of pandemic that we're still recovering from. Even, even if we're not wearing masks and things now from as a society and a culture and mentally and emotionally, we're still recovering from this because for years we were taught to be very careful because anyone around you could be the cause of your death at any moment. We learn to fear everyone else. Keep your distance from everyone else. And I'm not saying all of those precautions were a bad thing, but I'm saying we were conditioned in that way and now we have to start coming around to be able to say, how do we reconnect with people again? How do we not see them as bearers of disease, but as friends and as loved ones and as close, intimate partners with us? What does that look like? We... It's a prison that we have to learn how to get out and away from. Jonah is struggling in here, and he says, yet you brought me up from the pit. Again, remember, friends, God hasn't yet brought him out of the pit. He's in the fish. Like, he's praying, and he's going, you brought me out of the pit. I don't know what it sounds like when you pray inside a fish, but he's still in there. He hasn't been delivered. He's not sitting on the sand of the beach in the sun going, oh, It was really awful in that fish, but I can praise you now because you've delivered me. He's in the midst of it, and he's praying with this kind of confidence. And so I just say, whatever your prison is, your fish, call out from within it. Call out to the God who listens. Jonah says in verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple." When he says he remembered God, he hadn't forgotten that he existed. He wasn't like, what am I going to, oh, wait, there's a God. I'd forgotten about him. What he's saying is that he turned to him in a new way. He, he recalled his, uh, his, the promises of God and God's faithfulness because Jonah was a student of the scripture as a, as a good Hebrew prophet. He would have known the stories of God's faithfulness. And in his moment of anguish, he doesn't push those things away, but instead he embraces them. He remembers the Lord, the God who is faithful, and that his prayer is being heard. This is a really important moment for us, friends, because because Jonah did, not tell God, uh, Jonah did not make a bargain with God, which I do, and I know that we all tend to when we get in these places where we're struggling deeply and we're afraid, and we tend to go, all right, God, prove yourself here. And we, we might not articulate it because we know that we, it feels kind of bad, but we sort of say, if you save me in this, then I'm gonna have a strong faith in you. And if you don't, mm, our relationship might not be good. And we tend to, we tend to kind of put this sort of wager, this, 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 this burden of proof on God. But Jonah is actually calling us out of that to be able to say, Jonah didn't ask God to prove himself to him. Jonah said, you've done enough to prove yourself. You created us. You have Work through all of the stories of my people, Jonah would have said, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and the delivery of the people out of Egypt, all of these ways that God has proven himself. And for us now, looking at this through a New Testament lens, our question oftentimes needs to be not, God, you have to prove yourself right here for me to continue to have faith in you. Really, we have to back up from our current situation and ask a bigger question. And the question is this, did the resurrection happen or did it not? And you go, wait, what, how, what does that have to do with my suffering right now? Because it, it, it's this, because, because that is the ultimate proof of God's ability to save, his willingness to save, his pursuit of us in grace, his, his, uh, that he died and rose again, thus defeating death. He has proven himself willing and able. He doesn't have to prove himself to us again. And that's not, being, that's not lacking compassion or being snarky or anything like that. What, what I'm saying is, this is, a, this is the question of our faith. And if we say, yes, he was resurrected, then we get to look at every situation in light of the hope of the resurrection. Instead of saying, I'm going to determine what I think about God by my situation, but rather, I'm going to interpret my situation by what I believe about God. And if we believe the resurrection, we believe there's hope, then we believe there's forgiveness, then that Paul goes on to say things like, nothing can pluck us from the hand of Jesus. Nothing can can remove us from, from the love of Christ. No, no danger or darkness or sword or famine or angels or demons, nothing. There's no suffering that can pull us away from the love of Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are, belong to Christ because of the resurrection. And when we have those truths, then we can say, all right, how do we suffer well holding on to these truths rather than saying, God, you have to take away my suffering and then I will believe these things. We don't have to make this wager. We can have hope because we can trust what God has already done and pray with the kind of confidence that Jonah does. You are hearing my prayer even in the midst of my suffering. And Jonah, through his trials, is starting to be transformed a little bit. Um, Verse eight is very telling for Jonah. He says this, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. So there's two parts to this. One, he's realizing in himself some of the idols that he has chased that have moved him to a place of being in the belly of a fish somewhere under the water. Um, He's saying idols. For us, when we look at idols, Idols are anything else besides God that takes center stage in our lives, that takes the first of our energy, the first of our concentration, the first of our money, the first of our affection, that our identity is based on. Anything other than God is an idol. And there are things that are easily seen as idols, right? Sex, power, money. Like those are low-hanging fruit when it comes to recognizing idols and bad idols. But we can make anything into an idol, Whenever we take even good things that are gifts from the Lord and make, put them before the Lord and make them ultimate and the source of our happiness, they become an idol. If you are married and you think that your spouse is going to fulfill all of your needs and that you are finally going to have all of your desires met by someone else, you have made them an idol and they will fail you. Because they're not Jesus. Unless you marry Jesus and no one did that no matter what Dan Brown or anybody else has to say about that. If, if you, the Lord has given you children, children are great and wonderful, and they're, they're a blessing from the Lord, but if you find your identity in the success, in the beauty, in the, the glory of your children, uh, they are going to be miserable because they can't handle your worship and your pressure. And you're going to be miserable, especially when they go off to college and you realize you have nothing left. We can take things that are good and make them ultimate and they become idols and they become meaningless and vanity when it comes to understanding the truth of who we really are. Now, when we chase these things, Jonah is saying, when we chase these things, they leave us empty in the end for it's only God who can fill. Now, here's, here, let me answer a question that may be in some of our heads, because some of us might go, all right, all right, Dan, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, I hear you saying, uh, um, God doesn't always give us the earthly joys that we desire, because in chasing those earthly joys, it might lead us farther away from him, which is actually where we need to go to find the joy that we're really hoping for. Great, uh, and, but I'm not talking about a new job here. I'm not talking about a beach house that I've always wanted. I'm not talking about some vacation that I wish God would give to me or some red sports car that I wish that I could drive. I'm talking about the fact that we wanted kids and that I lost a child through a miscarriage. Are you telling me that that's a vain idol? Are you telling me that because I wanted to have kids, I'm empty because we've experienced this and that it's my fault because I'm being an idolater? No, I'm not saying that. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we live in a sinful, broken world and things happen to us um, because we live in that world. And what we can see in God, we don't have an understanding of why all those things happen. I can't tell you why you've lost a child in that way. Or if this doesn't resonate with you, you you take out the, the, the loss of a child and insert whatever that deep pain and trauma was for you in that where you're asking about God's presence in it. And I can't tell you why those things happen. But what I can tell you, is that God knows those deep wounds to the point that he's not just a distant God who went, oh yeah, you're you're suffering. I'm really, really sad about that, but it'll get better later. He became one of us in the mystery of the incarnation, in Jesus Christ. The the book of Hebrews says that, that he was tempted in every way, just like we are, and that he suffered deeply, excruciating pain. The word excruciating means From the cross. So when we talk about the worst kind of pain that we can think of, we use a word that points to the cross. And so we have a God who not only walks in us with our pain in, in our pain, but knows that pain and has experienced that pain and, and holds us. And when he weeps over our pain, he weeps because he has felt it and experienced it. And when we say, what is, I've lost a child in this way and, and I can't see where God is in it, you are learning even more the heart of God who has lost a child too in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, this is where where God, the hope of God is deeper than any of our struggles and even it's not understanding that will solve our pain. It's deep faith in what Jonah says here, the hope of steadfast love. The hope of steadfast love. And Jonah is starting to have a different view of other people too. Like he ran away from telling Nineveh and Assyria about the steadfast love of God because, because he, he has idols in his own life and he's running from that and he's struggling with that. But when he's now in this place where he realizes that he can in no way save himself, he's starting to realize that God's the only one who can save. And he's actually starting to have compassion on other people. Where he is saying, when people pursue idols like I've pursued idols, they abandon their hope. They, they forsake their hope of steadfast love. And he's starting to have some compassion to say they need that steadfast love, just like I need it right now as well. We can only look at others with grace when we recognize the depths of grace that God has had with us. We can't drum that up, we can't, we can't drum up compassion. Because when we, when we try to have compassion with, through our own flesh, we start loving one group and hating another. We can't do it in our own flesh. We have to have an otherworldly grace. When we realize our dependence upon grace is when we can have compassion on others. And it starts to change our lives. Let's go back to your marriage again. If you're fighting a lot in your marriage, how different would your marriage be if both of you replaced your defensiveness with a desire for your spouse to experience steadfast love? How different would our conversations be? How different would our arguments be if our motivation was, I I depended upon grace, because I'm a sinner and I recognize it and I recognize you're a sinner too and instead of going, but you're just a little bit bigger sinner than I am so I have the grounds for this argument, instead looking and saying, I long for you to know the steadfast love of God just like I hope that you long for that for me. What if we're angry all the time because of politics? Whether you're a CNN person or a Fox News person or whatever in between places there are in that, instead of just being angry and balled up all the time about our political situations, what if we could look and say, those people that we feel as enemies, that what we long for, what we ache for, is them to know the steadfast love of God and how that would change them. Because why they are the way that they are is that by following vain idols... They have rejected and forsaken their hope in the steadfast love of God. Do you see how it changes? Like this is so different from the world that says you get what you're supposed to get and other people shouldn't be getting in your way and you're allowed to be angry at the people that you're allowed to be angry at and you can take what you need to take and it's all about building you up and and it's all grabbing and holding and pushing and instead What's starting to happen in Jonah and what Jesus does ultimately in us starts to say, what if if we see everyone not as people to push and to grab and to shove and to be angry with and frustrated with, but to ache for them to know the same kind of steadfast love and the hope that comes with it that you have received in Jesus. That is making God ultimate and putting everything else second. Now look, There's not a switch for this, right? Like you don't go, yep, I got it now. I'm gonna start living a life of grace completely. I have it all figured out. This sermon has completely changed my life uh, and therefore I'm gonna start having grace with myself and with others. You've now just immediately put it back in your own court to do that by your own flesh. Jonah struggles with this deeply throughout this book. We're gonna see this. Like in the next chapter, well, the next week when we look at the last two chapters, um, he's going to throw, throw an all out, like two year old temper tantrum. After this great moment in the fish that we're talking about here, he is just going to like pound the ground and weep like, like a little child. And there's a lot of that struggle in our lives as well. And there's grace in that. So, look, I want to show you how, as we pursue this life of grace, I think there are four ways that, that Jonah starts to talk about this. He's not like, Four steps to a grace-filled life. That's not what we're saying. This is these are four ways that started to show themselves in Jonah's life as he started to come to some of these heart changes. Okay, first is this verse nine. But I will, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is fascinating because he says with the voice of thanksgiving. He's in a fish. Why is he thanks? Like who's thankful for being in a fish? How does he have a voice of thanksgiving in the midst of his struggles? Because he realized that something else is happening that's even forming and shaping him as well. He's coming to a realization of the depth of the deluge of the grace of God. That all of the things that he said covered him. The billows and the waves and the the fish flesh. He's starting to see as instruments of grace. That all those things that are covering him are actually... Grace, And so what does he do first? And this is what I would call us to as well. If we want to be people of grace and to live out grace and to extend grace, one is to worship. We worship. When we come to this place or when you're in your, uh, in your own homes with your own families as well, that we worship. Because in the act of worship, we are saying, It's not all about me. You're the one who is worthy. You're the one who is able. You, it's about you. And we're able to pull off that control and we're able to pull off that seeking of glory. And we find what we have been created for to give thanks to our Creator for all He is and all He has done. And we can worship. And if there's a way for us to combat anxiety and depression and anger and frustration and pain, it's not to wait until all of that gets over and then you're heart feels cheery so you can start to sing a happy clappy song, it's in the midst of that, in the midst of the fish when you're weeping and you're looking at God and going, you're worthy I don't know how to feel that right now but you're worthy and you're holy and you're good so that we're not looking at our situation and our pain and saying, you're God and all you do is condemn but instead to look up at the God who can save and say, no, it's you who are worthy of my attention and my faith not my pain." And we can give that to him. And we can share it with him with a voice of thanksgiving. The second I would say this, and we've already mentioned it, so I'll move it through quickly. Uh, Jonah says that he, I will make a sacrifice to you. This is another reference to the temple. He keeps coming back to the temple, and it's a, it's a common theme of what we try to bring in here at Redeemer too. To, this is a call as Christians to, to look to the church, to not walk these things alone, to come to the people of God, that that you don't have to be in the belly of the fish by yourself, but that there are people to walk in this with you. The people who are beside you are not just people who happen to worship on a Sunday the same time that you do. They've been given to you by God for you to pour your life into and for them to pour their life into you as well as a community of grace as we learn how to live differently from the world in light of the resurrection of Christ. So look to the church. Worship and look to the church And then number three, he says this, what I have vowed, I will pay. I think this is a place where we can look up from our distress and we can start to say, I'm going to focus on what I need to focus on. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to live into what I have vowed. And you say, well, I haven't vowed anything. If you have been baptized, you have made vows and vows have been made Over you. Listen to the questions we ask at baptism. Do you renounce the devil and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? And the candidate says, I renounce them. Do you renounce the empty promises and deadly deceits of this world that corrupt and destroy the creatures of God? I renounce them. Do you renounce the sinful desires of the flesh that draw you from the love of God? I renounce them. Isn't that all that idle talk that we've just been talking about? These are our baptismal vows. And then we say not only are we going to reject the things that are not of God, we're going to turn to God. Do you turn to Jesus Christ and confess him as your Lord and Savior? I do. Do you joyfully receive the Christian faith as revealed in the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament? I do. Will you obediently keep God's holy will and commandments and walk in them all the days of your life? And we answer, I will, the Lord being my helper. And then there's this great and glorious moment in our baptismal service where we turn away from the candidates and we look at the whole congregation of the church. And we say, these people are entering into new life. Will you do all in your power to help raise these adults and children in their life in Christ? And the congregation loudly proclaims, we will. We will. will. That's a vow. Did you hear that? That's a vow. Just like when, when you get married and you stand before right up here and then the priest goes, do you? And they say, I do. Do you? I do. And then there is, uh, there is a vow that is made and there's an exchange of a ring that says, here's my physical promise that I'm always going to do that. The sign of the covenant. We have made vows and there's a physical sign of that covenant when we are plunged in the water and pulled back up and received by the people of God. So when you are struggling, friends, when you are wavering, when you feel like you're in the belly of a fish with closed bars, remember your baptism. Remember your baptism and fulfill your vows. Reject those things that are not of him. Renounce the vain idols we pursue. Deny the life-stealing lies of our world and confess Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Receive the Christian faith as the truth and walk in God's holy will. And then when you say, your response to me is, but I can't do that. I've tried and I'm really struggling and I can't do that. Now you start to understand the end of verse nine. When Jonah says he's going to do all of these things and he calls out, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Nope, you can't do all those things. And when you realize that you are not in control and realize that you can't be any more holy on your own, that you can't strive after Jesus enough to ever catch him, you will recognize that salvation belongs to the Lord. That it is about participating and hungering and thirsting for righteousness, but you'll, you'll, you'll never achieve it You need to be reliant that salvation belongs to the Lord. It's his grace. And that's what I would say is number four in this, rest in grace. Remembering your baptism is remembering God's grace at work in you. Not that you achieved something and so we went, okay, you're holy enough now, we're gonna baptize you. But just the opposite, to be able to say you are in need of grace before you can ever start even pursuing Jesus. And so we're gonna baptize you because grace is at the beginning of it. When you begin to realize your own need of grace is when you'll find that rest that you are looking for. So friends, here's my call to us. Here's the call of Jonah to us, the word of the scripture for us that I think the entire book is really about, verse nine, salvation belongs to the Lord. It's all about grace, and that should be freeing. That should be freeing to say that what we really need in our lives is the one thing that we have an unwavering amount of. We can't run out of grace. We can't run out of the steadfast love of God. And so when we come to this realization that that's all we really need and we can never run out of it at the same time, can you feel the pride starting to leak away? The fear, the scarcity, the conflict, the need to prove yourself to everyone else, the need to defend yourself, like it all starts to leak away under the waterfall of grace that comes from God, his, his steadfast love and the hope that we have in it. Salvation belongs to the Lord and salvation has been given to us even in the midst of our struggles. Our trials and struggles, when we turn to God in them, serve to let us know his heart. And I would say this, friends, and listen close. Often the waters that cover us that we think were meant to drown us are actually the waters of baptism into a new life of hope and love and compassion. So Jonah calls out, Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out on the dry land. When we come out the other side of our struggles, we don't always smell great. We carry stuff with us as well. Turning to Christ doesn't immediately remove all distress or all mental struggles. I have friends that have known Christ and love him deeply and have for years and still have suicidal thoughts now. There's still a struggle, and it's still a struggle for Jonah. And again, we're going to continue to see how even after this amazing moment where Jonah is in a fish, calls out to God, God hears him, sets him free by spitting him up on the shore. He's still going to struggle with the faithfulness of God after that. It seems like after that, you'd be like, oh, from then on, I'm fine. (laughs) I've got it after that. I would totally be able to trust him all the time after that. No, sometimes we still walk around with the vomit of the fish on us. And we struggle, and even in our struggles, there's more grace We never, Jonah shows us that even when you try to outrun the presence and the grace of God, you can't do it. So where are you? What fish are you in? What what fish have you crawled out of but are still covered in the vomit of trauma? Where are you wrapped up in anxiety because there may be a fish belly coming at some point and you're just worried about it? Grace. Grace. Trust in the sovereignty of God. Know his love. Be his people. Receive his grace. And friends, we should rejoice that salvation does not belong to our effort or our achievement or our ability. But salvation belongs to the Lord. And he gives of it freely. Pray with me. Lord, we're, we're thankful for Jonah. We're thankful that we have the witness of people like Jonah who are very messed up, just like we are, (laughs) who struggle in their faith, just like we do, who run away from you and you chase them, just like you do us. And we pray, Lord, that you, there's so many different stories and they've all been marked with difficulty and suffering. And as there are difficulty and suffering awaiting us, all of us that we don't even know is coming, but you do. And we pray that you would build in us this strong, confident faith, that the one thing that we need is your steadfast love, your presence, your grace, and those are the things that no situation and no struggle can ever steal from us. Lord, let us understand our circumstances in light of you rather than trying to determine who you are based on our circumstances. Let us be people of grace who receive it, who long for it, and who extend it to others that they may know the steadfast love of God. In the grace-filled name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.